If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the book of Luke. We will be in uh, Luke chapter 14, and we will begin in verse 15. Luke chapter 14 and verse 15. And our text today is really a continuation of the account that started back in uh, chapter 14 and verse 1. And you might remember that Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. And this Pharisee is a leading Pharisee. Um, he, he's, again, probably on the Sanhedrin. He's invited Jesus as well as some, uh, some Pharisees and some scribes, some lawyers over. And so Jesus is in a rather hostile environment. And Jesus healed a man that was uh, afflicted with dropsy. And then he told a parable of some guests. And the point of that, you remember, is to teach us the importance of humility. And so um, one of the men that was there at the party, he hears what Jesus is saying. He, he hears about this the parable of the guests, and, and Jesus had talked about uh, the kingdom and things like that. And uh, Jesus, uh, or this man, hears Jesus say this, and in verse 15, he pronounces a blessing on those who would eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now that may seem like an odd turn of phrase to uh, to, to, to talk about eating bread in the kingdom of God. What he's talking about there is he's speaking of having a meal in the Messiah's kingdom. Now, the reason that he talks about, talks about in those terms is the Jews at the time pictured the Messiah's rule, the Messiah's reign, as a feast or as a banquet or as a large meal. And so to eat bread in the kingdom is a way of talking about taking part in the Messiah's reign. Okay, so he's talking about um, he's, he's talking about blesses the person who's in the kingdom of God. That is what he's getting at. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to teach us some important truths that we'll read uh, starting in verse 15. So if you have your Bible and are able, I'd like you to stand with me in honor of God's word. And we'll read down to verse uh, 24. It says, When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, this parable that he's just told about the guests, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at that dinner hour, and at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges, and compel them to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, there are a few things I want you to see in our text today. The first is assumption. The first is assumption. Now, this man, in verse 15, he assumed he was in the kingdom of God. That is his main problem. He assumed that he was in the kingdom of God. Now, if you'll read the words that he said, blessed is the one who eats bread in the kingdom of God. There is nothing factually wrong with his words. I mean, it's a good sentiment. He is accurate. The person who eats in the kingdom of God, the person who's part of the kingdom of God, that person is blessed. But the wording here indicates that the story that Jesus tells was to correct this man. And many times we, we kind of breeze through some of these words and we don't really pay attention. But if you'll notice right at the beginning of verse 16, what does it say? 
It says, but. But. Now that is a contrasting word. Notice it doesn't say and. So if this would have been meant to affirm this man and what he was saying and, and his, his ideas, it would have, he would have been saying, blessed is the person who gets to eat bread in the kingdom of God. The assumption is I'm going to be there. And Jesus said this, and the, the implication would be that Jesus is telling this man, hey, you're going to be one of them that's in. But this is a contrasting word. It's showing us Jesus is not affirming him, but rather correcting him and instructing him. He, he's essentially saying, this is what you think, but here is what you need to be aware of. This man's problem is that he assumed that he is in, that he is part of the kingdom of God, and probably not just him, but probably everybody that's there at the feast. Because these people are, are the religious leaders. These are, the, the, these, this is the, these are the seminary professors. These are the preachers. They are at this meal. And so, so Jesus teaches here, as well as other places, a great reversal. Many of those people that look like they're going to be in, and the people that we would expect to be in, are actually not going to be, and vice versa. And, and, and the, the great lesson for us is don't assume that you're in the kingdom. Don't assume that you are in the kingdom. Now, in all likelihood, this man was probably a lawyer or a Pharisee. Again, he, was a, he would have been a religious leader because the Bible says that's who the Pharisee invited. He was a, most likely a religious teacher. These are the people that were looked up to in society. Maybe he had an MDiv from the local seminary. Maybe he, had, maybe he had a position of leadership in the local synagogue. Maybe he had sat under wonderful teachers. Listen, those things are, are good. Those things are blessings. But they do not get you into the kingdom of God. And it may be that, that today you've spent a lifetime in church. Maybe you've served on church staff. Maybe you've been in the pulpit. Maybe you've taught Sunday school. Maybe you've taught Bible school. Maybe you've been a deacon. Maybe you've been a trustee or a treasurer or a song leader or a pianist or any of those things. Those things will not get you to heaven. The Bible says unless a man, a woman, a young person be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so the question that is, is raised by this is, are you born again? Not have you come to church, not have you put your name on the church roll, not have you been baptized or taken the Lord's Supper or had a position of leadership or any of those other things. The question that is raised by this is, are you in the kingdom? So we see the, what, what you might call the sin of assumption. This man assumed he was getting in because of who he was, because of his heritage. It doesn't matter if your grandpappy was a preacher. That doesn't get you in. So the first thing we see is assumption. The second thing I want you to see is the invitation. Jesus begins to tell a story in verse 16. He begins to tell a story about a man who's invited many guests to a banquet that he's prepared. Now the host clearly stands in the place of God in this story. And if you look at verse 16 in, in your Bible, this man is having a big dinner, and this is an extravagant event. Now, I eat a lot of food, but what I eat is usually not fancy. I mean, I, I, I go to those, I go to, I've been to some of those banquets and things, and can I be honest with you, most of it's not very good. I mean, I'm more of like a, a Cracker Barrel type person, you know what I mean? Carbs. That's what I like. I like carbs. And, and so... So I've been to those things, and one of the things I've noticed is, I mean, they don't give you enough to keep a bird alive hardly. And it may be a, a real pinkies-up event, and, and that's what was probably going on here. It, it was, you know, everybody had, if they had a, a teacup, they had their, pointy, their pinkies pointed up when they took a drink. and I mean, it, it, was, it was a big deal. 
but this would not have been a hoity-toity, you know, leaf of lettuce on the plate and that's it type of thing. This was a feast. This is a banquet. I mean, it is opulent. It is extravagant. It's overflowing. I mean, they, they butchered animals just for this. And you think about how much meat will come out of a, of, of a cow, for instance. I mean, you can get a lot of meat out of that. And, and you do that to, 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 to just overabundance the meal. And, and this would have been provided great cost. And so he's, he's prepared this meal. And honestly, when we look at this, we kind of, I think sometimes, at least subconsciously, we may kind of side with the guy. I mean, we know it's, it's impolite what these people did when they begged out of going. But sometimes I think we may kind of side with them a little bit. Because we may look at this and say, well, this guy just shows up and says, hey, the food's on. And they say, well, I've got stuff to do. How can they be blamed for not going? They may have plans. But I want you to read the text carefully. Because, and I'll fill in some of the background on this. It'll, it'll help you understand how offensive this would have been. But you even pick up on it if you just pay attention to the wording. If you look at verse 16... This man invited many, and then in verse 17, he sent them a slave to say, soup's on. Now, when they would have a party like this, there would actually be two invitations that were given. The first was like an RSVP, okay? Today, sometimes you get in the mail a little card that says, save the date. That's your first invitation. It's kind of like that back then. They would they would send out an invitation, and the people that... They got the second invite. They'd already said, yeah, I'm coming. You can count on me. I'm going to be there. I will respond to this invitation. I'm going to do what you've asked. And so he sent out these invitations to the guests. People would say, yes, I commit to coming on this day during this time. So based on that, then the host would make the preparations. He would, you know, kill the fatted calf and and get all the food ready and, and do all the preparations and then, when the food was done, or real close to it, they'd send out a slave or a servant and send out the second invitation, and the slave would show up at your door and say, food's ready. That's your second invitation. That's when it was time to come. Everything was ready for you. Preparations had been made. And that's why this was such an affront to this host, because these people had already gotten the first invitation. These people had already said, I will be there. I will come when called. And then when the time came, they backed out. Doesn't that drive you crazy? That is, that is really... And, and can I just say, this is just a side note. It's important as Christians that we keep our word and we follow through on commitments. That's a whole other message. But you look at this. I want you to know, God did the same thing in salvation history. He sent out invitations to come to Him. You read about the Old Testament. Especially in the, the, the prophets. They said, come to, come to God, come to God, come to God. And he even said, this is when the second invitation is coming. And, and he laid it out, when Christ would come, when the Messiah would arrive. And so he sent out these invitations. And, and, and people, people believed that they would respond when the Messiah came. And then Jesus came onto the scene and what did he say? Come to me. All ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And, and he said, the kingdom is at hand. Repent. Come to me. He's inviting them. He says, the preparations have been made. The, the banquet is ready. Come to me. Come to the Messiah. And, and again, many of these people maybe even thought that they would have responded correctly when the Messiah came. 
But yet as Jesus went from town to town, village to village, house to house, and he issued this, this, this invitation. And he said, come to me, come to God, come to me. One after another, they turned away from him and they, they, they refused. They, they made an excuse. And the invitation is given to you today. You come into the kingdom through Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to notice the responses in verses 18 and following. Verse 18 says, they all made excuses. Now, someone has said that it is, has defined an excuse as a reason stuffed with a lie. So they, they, they came up with an excuse, of they, a refusal, why they couldn't go. And each, each response, I believe, is just a little bit worse than the one before it. Look at verse 18. This is polite and maybe even a little bit plausible. He said, I'd like to come, this is my summation, I'd like to come, but I bought some land. I need to go look at it. Now, it could be, it could be that he had bought this land sight unseen. And he had, maybe he had bought this land and said, I will pay you this amount of money for this piece of land if when I inspect it, it is what you say it's going to be. And so maybe he's saying, I bought this land, I need to go inspect it. And maybe, possibly. But listen, it's dirt. It ain't going anywhere. It's going to be there the next day. He could have just as easily have said, you know what, I have this land I bought, but it ain't going anywhere. I'm going to go out, I'm going to fulfill my commitments, and then I'll look at it tomorrow. Second thing, the, the second guy, he was worse. He backed out, and his excuse was, I bought some oxen, and I want to try them out. Now, just think about this. He bought ten oxen, five yoke. If you buy that many oxen, you're farming a lot of land. You're wealthy. If you have that much land and you're that wealthy, you no doubt have probably slaves or at least some hired hands. They can test out the oxen. Also, if you're that wealthy, you're probably not doing quite as much work as you're letting on. Also, those oxen are going to be there tomorrow. And on top of that, this is the evening meal, which means it's dark. We're real close to it. You, you, you're gonna, now, they may have changed things with the latest model, but I think on the earliest models, models last I've read, the oxen back then didn't have headlights. And so he's not going out to test the oxen in the dark. This is, this is the equivalent, in my mind, of the girl that says, sorry, I, I, I can't go out with you tonight. I'm washing my hair. Okay? This is just this is nonsense. It's just a reason stuffed with a lie. It's an excuse. And the last guy, if you look at what he says, he's the worst of all. His reason for going, uh, for not going, was I got married. Now I know everybody has a different personality, but it seems like most of the most of the women that I've known, whenever they get married, they're excited to tell everybody. Generally, hopefully they're not ashamed of their husband already. But you want to go out and you want to tell somebody, right? And so you get married and you get invited to a fancy meal. You want to you want to go show off your ring. 
You want to go tell everybody how your wedding was. I mean, that's the big deal. And even if that's not the case, even if this person is like, you know what, that is not my thing. I don't want to be around people. People are not my, big events are not my thing. Listen, this, this man in the law, in the book of Deuteronomy, there is an exception made for military service for the first year that somebody's been married. So you get married for a year, you don't have to go be in the in military service. But listen, feasting is hardly warfare. And this guy is less courteous than the other two because the other two said, please consider me excused. This guy just said, I ain't coming. I got married. Now, I want you to notice something about all these guys. They all, to, to a person, put on like they would go... They'd sure like to go if they didn't have these other things going on, if they didn't have these other obligations. And in fact, they acted like they would take part, but they were just prevented from stuff outside themselves from doing so. They just couldn't, they just, just weren't able to do it. Now listen, people do the same thing today. They put on like they would come to Christ if it weren't for this or for that. Well, you know, I would like to come to Christ, but... Man, I'm, I know that requires a time commitment, and I'm just so busy. I mean, you should look at my calendar. I, I would like to come to Christ, but you know what? I, I just really think I need to get my life straightened out first. Well, you know, I would like to come to Jesus. I'd like to come be part of the kingdom of God, but I'm in the middle of this business deal, and I know that he wouldn't really like the way it's going. He wouldn't like the things I'm doing, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that off until I'm done with the business deal. You know, I'd like to come, but Thanksgivings and Christmases are already drama-filled enough, and if I come, if I become a Christian, then I have to have all those religious conversations. I mean, you, you name it. And it's amazing the people, the, the, the things that people choose to hold on to instead of come to Christ for salvation. Now, we as Christians can look at that and say, tisk, tisk, tisk. They shouldn't be doing that. But listen, the excuses don't stop when you become a Christian. Maybe, maybe you're a Christian and you've been giving God an excuse. Well, I, you know, I would be obedient here if it weren't for, I like this relationship too much. It might hurt his feelings. It might hurt her feelings. You know, I would, I would, I would surrender to the ministry, but I've just got so much of my life ahead of me. Or maybe the other end, I just don't have very much time left. I'd be involved in church, right, head up this activity or that ministry, but, and you fill in the blank. We do the same thing. We, fill, we, we give excuses to God. And finally, I want you to see urgency. Urgency. This slave reports the excuses, and the master is not happy. Look at what it, what it says. It doesn't say that the, the master just winks at it and says, you know, like the, like the laugh track from Full House. <laughs> oh, nobody can come. Oh, well, we learned a lesson anyhow, children. No, instead, the Bible says that the master is angry, and there are consequences. He says, go at once. Do you hear that urgency? At once, right now, get on it and bring people in. Everything's ready. Preparation has been made. And he turns from those who are originally invited and he casts the net wider. 
It says, go out into the, into the towns, into the village, into, into the city, into the lanes, and bring people in off the street. Bring the, the poor and the crippled and the blind and, 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 the, poor and, and, and the lame. Bring them in. And this would have been scandalous because when you're wealthy, those are not the people you have for your dinner guests. You have other people that are wealthy. Now the slave does that and he comes back and reports there is still room. Still, there's room. And what a sweet word that is. Still, there is room. There is room for you. We, we sing a, a song that has a line that says, Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. And listen, there is room for you in the kingdom of God today. It doesn't matter your age your social status, your bank account, your, your ethnicity, anything else, there is room in the kingdom for you. You may think, well, heaven may be overflowing. There's not room. There's room for one more. There's always room for another. Won't you come to God for salvation today because there is still room? Looking in at Jesus' words, not only is there a sense of urgency in regard to time, he says, Go, go now, right away. Make haste. Not only time-wise, but also there's a sense of urgency in the level of persistence. First, he, he, he issues an invitation. Then, when those people turn away from it, they, they reject it. Then he says, bring them in. Go at once and bring them in. And third, after after. That's been done and, and there's still room. Notice the wording gets more emphatic. He says, compel them to come in. Now we hear that and we think compel equal, equals coerce. We think compel means you force them to do it. And we may even think of uh, faiths like Islam which says convert or die. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Nothing in the Christian faith threatens you with the sword if you don't convert. This word that's used is actually used of Jesus himself in both Matthew uh, chapter 14 and verse 22 and Mark 6.45. And they're both a, uh, an account of Jesus walking on the water. And right before he does that, the Bible says, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself was sitting in the crowd away. And the word that's translated compelled here is made. Jesus made his disciples get in the boat. Now, what do you think that means? Do you think that he's kicking them in the high den, trying to get them to move? Is he twisting their arms? Is he threatening them with the sword, saying, if you don't get on this boat, you're, you've had it? No, he's not beating them up. He's not abusing them. He's not threatening them. This has the idea of persuading or even commanding them. And in the context that it's used in, in Luke here, it has the idea of, of, of all those things, but also of 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 prayers and pleadings and urgings and appeals and being persistent in those things. And Jesus concludes with a chilling word. Verse 24, None of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Said another way, those who were invited and refused would one day be refused entry. They were invited and they'll soon become a petitioner as one commentator put it. 
If you remember back in chapter 13, Jesus told a parable about these, these, uh, these people who tried to get in. They, they, they showed up at the door, but it was too late. The, the, the owner of the house had already shut the door. And on that day, what did they hear? Depart from me. I never knew you. And that's what these, that's what these people who were invited would hear. They refused the invitation, and they'll later be refused entry. Listen, I can't respond to the invitation for you. If I could, I would. Your mom and dad can't do it. God won't do it. You have a responsibility to do it yourself. And listen, I'm, I'm issuing the invitation again. God is inviting you to come to Him and have your sins forgiven. God is inviting you to be adopted into His family. He's inviting you to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He's inviting you to be made right with Him, to be reconciled to Him, to be washed clean. He is inviting you to do that. And won't you now repent of your sins and have faith in Christ? Don't be like these foolish men. They came up with all these reasons, all these excuses to refuse the invitation. And those things, when you stand before God, are going to be awfully, awfully small. Because no reason, no excuse that you come up with is valuable enough to trade that for the kingdom of God. None. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just want to ask you, are you in the kingdom of God? Not have you been catechized, baptized, any of the other eyes. Not have you joined a church. Not have you shaken the preacher's hand. Have you turned from your sin and trusted in Christ for salvation? Because if not, Jesus himself said in John chapter 3, you're condemned already because you've not believed on the Son. But you can trust Christ today. You can have your sins forgiven. You can be saved if you respond to that invitation. Christian, are you making excuses? God's laid something on your heart. He's called you to do something, to step out in faith, to begin a ministry, to serve in some capacity. Are you making excuses just like these men? Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, thank you that your word is so plain. And it's as fresh and and applicable today as it was when it was first written. And God, I pray that you'd help each of us as Christians to not make excuses for being obedient. And God, I pray that if there's somebody who's 
um, hearing this, that they would not make excuses for salvation, that they would turn from their sin and turn to you in faith. Even where they are right now, if they'll trust you, you said you'd save them. And God, I pray that you would do those things and just move in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen.